Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Well, hey guys, welcome back to CCF Tuesday nights uh, for our gathering, for our worship service. Uh, we are uh, really excited that you're here joining us, and we're going to be continuing our series through the study of Matthew. We've been calling this series for everyone because we believe that uh, Jesus is saying constantly throughout Matthew that the gospel is for everyone, and this chapter, of course, is not an exception. Uh, this chapter, I think, highlights that in a lot of different ways. And so uh, we're going to be breaking down Matthew chapter uh, 20. Um, 22 this week um we'll be talking about chapter 22 um and um so if you have a bible go ahead and flip to there uh, if not i'll put the words on the screen right about here whenever uh the scripture uh, uh whenever i'm reading the scripture but um we're going to talk about uh matthew chapter 22 now the most known part of this uh, this chapter is uh, what we call the greatest commandment this is where jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart your soul your mind your strength and love your neighbor as yourself and that's a great message and honestly i could literally just say that and stop the video here and i think that that would be a great message for us to just sit and dwell on but i want to break down um what exactly is going on here because yes that is a great message but there is really a lot going on here in matthew chapter 22 and i want to kind of bring that to light because the greatest commandment is really the third part of something really 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 important and uh and so to give you a little context about where we are uh jesus is teaching uh we're i mean we're getting a little closer to the end of jesus's ministry the end of jesus's life and uh uh, at least is you know um, at least before the uh, the death and resurrection, but uh, uh, we're we're getting pretty close to there. So Jesus is teaching; he's teaching pretty heavily. He's been around for a while. People kind of know who he is. Uh, definitely, the Pharisees and the Sadducees know who he is, and and they don't really like him because Jesus is talking about things that uh, that they don't like uh, to hear. They're, he's talking about things that reduce their power. In, in a way, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, and he's speaking about the character of God himself. But the Pharisees also see that as he's attacking their rule, reign, and authority, and they're don't, they don't want to give it up. And so um, they, they see themselves as holier than thou, and you know, to claim yourself as holier than Jesus is quite a stretch but uh but they're doing it anyway and they're and they're trying to pinpoint something that they can do to get this Jesus guy out of here because he is bad for their lifestyle he's bad for their business he's bad for their their perception of their righteousness he's bad for a lot of their um, their faults, a lot of what they proclaim to be their rights, and uh, and, all that. and so Jesus is is proclaiming the kingdom. He's proclaiming grace. He's proclaiming pro- proclaiming that the gospel is not just for the nation of Israel anymore. It's not just for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That the gospel is for everyone, the Jew and the Gentile alike. And so uh, the Pharisees are really trying to discredit and destroy Jesus. They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to prove uh, prove him wrong uh, and they're trying to destroy him both his reputation as well as him because this is back in the day where you killed people because they said the wrong things it's just kind of the society that it was welcome to the roman empire so uh all, so that's kind of the picture for you now enter sassy jesus now sassy jesus is my favorite kind of jesus because he he does it in such a way that is so passive aggressive but uh, that's uh, that's kind of the way that it is to us. Whereas back in the day, um, it sometimes can be passive aggressive, but a lot of times it's just straight up aggressive. He's just straight up uh, calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees in uh, in the in the ways that they are thinking wrong, in the ways that they are doing wrong, and he's just like 
you know, uh, he's just laying it all on the line. He's like, hey, you guys are not right. And uh, and you are actually making a fool of yourself and you are making a fool of the message of God. And so uh, so enter sassy Jesus. Here we go. Um, uh, Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to start at verse 15 here and I'm going to read this again. Words will be on the screen out here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and follow along. Um, so uh, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God's tr- uh, of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And uh, Daenerys was, uh, you know, obviously a type of currency here. It was a, it was a coin, uh, usually typically made from silver. Um, so they brought him a coin. Um, and Jesus said to him, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard that, they marveled and they left him and went away. Now, that seems like a pretty stark response, but again, Jesus has some layered complexity here. So, uh, first of all, it's important to know who comes up to Jesus at this point. At this point, this is the Pharisees. Right here in verse 15, this is the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Now, the Pharisees were these religious upright people. They were the people that believed that um, that they were the enforcers of God's word, and they would do so through shame. They would do through, so through sometimes uh, violence if they needed to, or more so they would call on the Roman Empire to call violence. Uh, but these were essentially um, religious zealots and religious bigots of the time. And uh, and so they uh, these are the people that are attacking him at this moment. And so um, a couple things to note here. First of all, the Sadducees are trying to be sassy with Jesus too. And look, I'm just going to tell you now, if you're trying to outsass Jesus, you're just not going to win. Uh, so, so don't try that when you get to meet him. But, uh, but the Pharisees call him teacher and they call him teacher for two reasons. One is they want to integrate. They want to make it seem like they want to try to hide that they're Pharisees. They want to try to get him to call, just to think that they are somebody that's, that's going to, that's interested in following him. And two is they're trying to mock him. Now, Two reasons for the uh, two re- uh, reasons for this. One is that in the book of Matthew, we've we've used the the word teacher a lot, or we've used the word rabbi a lot, and uh, and rabbi is a Hebrew word translates just means teacher. So anytime that we do that, this is almost always the way that the disciples refer to Jesus in the book of Matthew. This is the most common way that people address Jesus as they say teacher. So they're trying to integrate with the, uh, with the disciples. They're trying to integrate with the society. They're trying to integrate and to essentially get on Jesus's good side. But they're also trying to ridicule and mock him because they're calling him a teacher, but they also know and understand that Jesus didn't go to any sort of rabbinical t- training school, which is the kind of school that they would have, uh, that they would have, uh, that all the Pharisees would have gone to or are going to. Uh, so they're, they're calling him teacher, but they're doing so in a mocking way. Uh, because they know that he doesn't actually have the certification for doing that. So it's very much like, you know, we do this deliberately today too. When we call somebody a title that we know that they aren't, uh, you call somebody doctor and they know, and you, but you know, they aren't a doctor. Uh, and so you call them that sort of as a way to mock them. And then, you know, you can snicker to your friends because it's like, hey, I called them a doctor. And you, you know, you know how it is, right? Anyway, uh, maybe I've just seen one too many movies. So. Uh, but anyway, so they're calling Jesus a teacher to both mock him uh, and to try to integrate him, to try to loosen his guard a little bit. But Jesus, as it says here, sees through their malice. And so there's there's kind of a juxtaposition here because Jesus is 
they're setting him up for a trick question. Uh, and that's what we're going to see in all three of these phrases. They're setting him up for a trick question because if Jesus says you give to Caesar, uh, or you, if Jesus says you don't give to Caesar, let's start there. If Jesus says you don't, um, you don't give to Caesar, then he is speaking out against Caesar and therefore he is subject uh, and turned over to the Romans for execution on grounds of treason because he is speaking out against the emperor. And you don't do that, especially in Roman times, because guess what? They're going to crucify you or they're going to behead you and they're going to do whatever they please. And, and you're it's not going to be a good time for you. You're gonzo. You say anything bad about Caesar and you're gonzo. You try to uh, overthrow his his rule and authority. Done. So uh, so they're tr so they're trying to set him up. So uh, so that way he could says he could say, don't give to Caesar. And they could be like, guard, come kill this guy. Right. He just said, don't give money to Caesar. And that's a big no, no to do. Uh, so so that's what they're trying to do it, it, to get Jesus to say, don't give money to Caesar. But this is, again, a little bit of a layered thing, because if Jesus says that he is also guilty of being an insurrectionist, a word that three months ago I would have had to Google to look up. But I think we've heard this word enough in the last in the last couple months. Uh, Jesus would have been guilty of of inciting insurrection. He would have been uh, absolutely uh, involved with trying to overthrow uh, the Roman government and being uh, and being a key piece in that. The other thing is he would also be discredited uh, from both society as well as from Jewish people and uh, and the the people who are following him. Because uh, if Caesar or Jesus says to give money to Caesar, then what's happening is Jesus is saying that we're going to give money to Caesar who know who he knowingly uh, they fund a military that they are uh, trying to control everybody including religious persecution so G uh, Jesus is saying give money to the people that are trying to kill us they're also funding buildings and when you think of buildings at the time there's a lot of pagan worship uh, that is government funded uh, or, or you even talk about things like the Colosseum which is notoriously used to set up and stage executions a lot of time of people for religious beliefs um, a lot of times for just because they were slaves and they could um, and so you know so they're uh, publicly funded funding things like the Colosseum. That's not really good for things. And the other thing is it would give in to uh, the, the lavish desire, uh, lavish lifestyles that the, uh, the Roman uh, governors typically use. So lots of sex, lots of slaves, lots of alcohol, lots of just things that are, are government funded at this time, because remember, this is an empire, but also lots of things that uh, aren't, uh, aren't anything that are compatible with the things that, are Jesus, that Jesus is saying. The other thing, the reason why people like he would be discredited by so many people is because uh, the Roman tax was as high as 49% of your income. And so many people felt hurt and burdened. Look, 49% is absolutely outrageous. I, I'm more and more grateful every single time. You know, we talked about economics last time, uh, about the tax collectors, about uh, about Zacchaeus, and we're talking about uh, this. I am so grateful that we live in 20th century, or 21st century America, because gosh, that would be an absolute nightmare to live there. But uh, so Jesus would have been condoning the, uh, the Roman tax of 49% to low-income families, which so many people are hurt and burdened, homeless, jobless, so many different things Jesus would have been saying, yes, the Roman government is fine in doing so. But Jesus' response is actually uh, an interesting one. So what Jesus, the way that Jesus responds is he says, well, who's on the coin? And they said Caesar. So, so give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. This is, this is, a, this is kind of a three-part thing. Number one is that Jesus is denouncing his, the conception that he would be a popular military leader. He would be a military leader. So uh, the people believed back in the day that, Jesus was, that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to come with a sword and he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and he was going to free people from captivity and he was going to be a literal 
knight on a shining white or a shining knight on a white horse. That's what people believed him to be until Jesus actually showed up. Uh, and so Jesus is denouncing any sort of military authority when he's saying to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Michael J. Wilkins, he's an author of this commentary uh, that I've been reading on, on the, the book of Matthew. He's a, a PhD from Fuller Seminary. He's got a lot of really good credits to him. The guy's wicked smart. He says that his kingdom is revolutionary, uh, but until he returns in glory, the kingdom will operate within the existing political order. So Jesus is saying that people have obligations to both. He's saying, yes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's because as of right now we live in the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God has not yet come to its fullest fruition to its fullest order and so until then you have obligations to both the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God and so uh, so by doing that Jesus is is avoiding all the negatives of saying either one of don't give to Caesar or give to Caesar uh, but but the other thing that's really interesting about this is Jesus is implying something really big by talking about the image on, on a coin because he asks whose image is on that coin and Jesus could have easily left this out and the argument would have been the same uh, but 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 Caesar is on that course of course uh, on that coin of course because he's the he's the head of this empire and uh, and so Jesus is indirectly making a claim about the nature of humanity the nature of Caesar because humans bear God image God's image in Genesis when he's create uh, when God is creating uh, he creates man and he says and, and in his own image he created man and woman and uh, and so he is he's making a, a claim that Caesar is on the coin Caesar is a human Humans bear God's image. Therefore, he is reminding everybody that Caesar is made in the image of God and God has a claim on all his people. Caesar is not exempt from that rule. So Jesus is saying some pretty radical stuff here. Moving on, he, uh, the, the, uh, Pharisees go away. Like they said, they left him and they went away because Jesus kind of told them off, right? Uh, so then there's this, uh, this section that's called Sadducees Acts about the Resurrection. So Sadducees are essentially Pharisees, but they only believe in the first five books of the Bible. We call that the Pentateuch, uh, because Penta, you guys know at University of Iowa, Pentecost means five. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible, because that is what uh, even the Pharisees call the law. So um, they only abide by the law. Uh, I'm going to read here 23 to 33. So the same day the Sadducees came to him... Uh, who say that there is no resurrection. So again, Matthew kind of pointing out, trying to give us some context. Um, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, uh, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up his offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. Uh, the first married have died and, and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven whose wife will she be? For they had all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry or nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, he is the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living." And when the crowd heard of it, they were astonished by his teaching. So 
Again, lots of layers here. The Sadducees only study the Pentateuch, uh, and so they don't believe in the resurrection because the resurrection uh, in the Old Testament isn't talked about until later texts, primarily Daniel and Isaiah. Uh, so they don't uh, really actually know about the resurrection life because they don't believe in the resurrection life. And so they assume that the resurrected life is just like the present life. And so their hope is to charge Jesus uh, because their lack of understanding, their hope is to tar charge Jesus with promoting and condoning incest. Because uh, this is the way that society was set up uh, for the, the nation of Israel. That let's say um, you are, are one of seven, and uh, and your oldest brother marries uh, a wife, but then he I don't know gets dysentery and and dies. It is the responsibility for the second brother to marry the widow or the widow of the first brother. This is primarily set up as a social construct. This is primarily set up so that you don't have a widower, uh, and that uh, if there were offspring involved, that they are still taken care of and all that. And so. Uh, so this is set up in, in that way, and so uh, they bring this exact situation to it, and they say, what if she's been married to all seven? Whose is she in the afterlife? And so Jesus' response is to say, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus is doing something incredibly cool here because he's he's... He's saying, don't speak on what you don't know. And you don't know anything about the resurrection, so just stop talking about the resurrection. Uh, he, he's really throwing it in their face, and he's really criticizing them directly to their face, uh, even though it may not necessarily seem like it. The other thing, too, and this is uh, where we get super sassy Jesus, because he mentions that people in the resurrected life will be like the angels, because the angels don't marry. And this is where we get super sassy Jesus, because the angels don't appear in the Pentateuch. So the Sadducees don't even necessarily believe in angels. And so God is throwing all right, so Jesus is throwing two things right back in their face, and he's saying, "Just shut up, just stand down." And there's no way you're gonna you're gonna be able to do this. But in, in also doing so, Jesus proclaims uh, earthly relationships versus resurrected relationships, uh, and how they will be different. Uh, but I know that may sound like a sad thing because you, maybe you found somebody that you really like, and you will hopefully find somebody that you really like. Um, that you are content on spending forever with, but but Jesus is is talking about how earthly relationships are very different than heavenly relationships. But it's also not necessarily saying that they that they will be eliminated. Uh, it's uh, I, there's a great quote by Michael Wilkins here, and again, uh, and he says the spouse of multiple spouses in this life will have an equally altered capacity and understanding of love, which will enable her to love all without measure or jealousy or possessiveness. Because that's the problem with this situation here is we get incest, we get jealousy, we get possessiveness, but none of that exists in the kingdom of heaven. And so they're likely, our, like our structure of marriage doesn't exist in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's still relationships. Obviously, there is still uh, things, but it's, it's on a different level. It's on a completely different level. We're not talking about platonic and romantic anymore. And so Jesus is just saying, like, you don't even have a clue of what you're talking about. So just shut up while you're, while you're kind of okay, before I've really actually destroyed you. And so they, uh, they're astonished by his teaching. And so they kind of go away too. So round one, round two, Jesus knocks them out, right? Then they're like, all right, Pharisees, Sadducees, we got to get together. We got to really come. What's something we can really stump with Jesus? So they send a lawyer. Hear this, ready? Uh, 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 34 through 40. But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Uh, and this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is, uh, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, 
Jesus responds here, not with something new, but Jesus responds to here out of something that's called the Shema. The Shema was a, a phrase, Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5. This is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Uh, and so they, uh, they, he, the Jewish people had to say this prayer twice a day. Twice a day, at least. Uh, this, is, uh, this is something that's really essential to the Jewish faith. This is something that's really important to the Jewish people. Uh, and it's really an obligation uh, for each Jew to love God and love others. It's, uh, it, loving God um, is, is an absolute essential for what it means to be a Jewish person. That's why the Shema is so important. If you really want to read uh, more into this, go to Deuteronomy 6. Just read Deuteronomy 6. It's all about the Shema. It's all about the, it's the whole title. The title is the greatest commandment. It's not a terribly long chapter, especially considering it's the Old Testament, but it talks about the importance of what's going on here in this verse, and it talks about um, the, the depth into which this goes. And so that's a really fascinating read, especially in light of this. And so uh, the other part here is that Jesus is saying that you love the God with all aspects. You love God with all aspects of yourself. Uh, he's saying that you love your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Uh, and so that is all the aspects of the self, according to the people in the first century. And so uh, Jesus is saying that, that God comes first in all aspects of yourself, which is almost a way of him saying death to yourself, uh, that, uh, that that you... Um, uh, should die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Obviously something that Jesus has been talking about this whole uh, book, his whole life. Uh, and he continues to talk about it until his death. Um, the, the other part of this is that love has to be a concrete responsibility, uh, according to the people of the Jewish uh, community. And definitely Jesus is emphasizing that as well. Love is a concrete responsibility. It has to be beneficial to ourselves and our neighbors. And it is for everyone It's to both the Jew and the Gentile because love the Lord, your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's not specific on, you know, um, love the Jewish people as yourself, right? So this means love both the Jewish and the Gentiles to the first century. To us, it means love the love the atheist, love the Christian, love the Jew, love the agnostic, love the secular humanist, love the Hinduist, love the Buddhist, love the every single person you can possibly think of, any single care, every single characteristic. We as Christians are called to love them without boundaries, without borders. And Jesus wraps this all up in a nice little bow because because uh, all of a sudden. Everybody's stumped. Jesus has mastered all three of their tests. And so uh, so Jesus decides to take the offensive. He's like, all right, you've given me three. It's my turn to talk now. So here, verse 41 through uh, 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, who do you think, or what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Then he said to him, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him in a, a word. Uh, no one was able to answer him a word, nor uh, from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Jesus did the ultimate uh, card, the ultimate one to, to just say, like, look, get out of here because I'm much smarter than you. Because uh, Jesus decides to take the offensive. He's like, I've been on the defensive too long. They could do this all day, and I could still just manage to make them look like fools. I'm going to make them look like a fool right here, right now. This is the final standoff. And he quotes Psalm 110, 1, which is a... Uh, 
uh, one that the Pharisees loved to use. It's it's a very commonly quoted uh, verse, and this is a Psalm of David. And David is uh, is writing this, and it says here, um, in the spirit. Uh, so David is writing in the spirit, and it says, the Lord said to my Lord. But the, the, the context here is that um, if this is written by David, and the line, uh, the Messiah comes from the line of David, everybody agrees on that, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the uh, uh, the Messiah believe that the Messiah comes from the line of David, uh, as as that is foretold in the Old Testament and the prophecies. And uh, and so the the problem with that is, according to their society, an elder would never address a youth as Lord. Right? Uh, this the way that the society works is people that are older are more respected, and so there was absolutely no way in which a father would call a son Lord. But every situation, a son should call a father Lord. And so to them, uh, to think about this, why, if, if this is a great, 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 great whatever to David, then why is, uh, why is he, David, calling him Lord? Because this is absolutely total countercultural to everything that they've heard of. It's outrageous, too. It is unthinkable to even think, uh, or to even think of, of somebody older calling somebody younger Lord. And nobody has an answer for him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyer, nobody has an answer for him. And they, they never do. It says they leave and they stop asking him questions and they don't do it anymore. And so what Jesus is saying here by, by bringing up this point is he's saying that we're not doing it your way anymore. Your way is, is the way of the past. I am here to bring out the new. I am here to bring uh, the, uh, the, the new gospel, the new creation, uh, the new resurrection. I am here to bring out all things new and you are not a part of the new. So you're, uh, so, so we are doing things my way now. And my way is that, uh, is with death to self. It's with a kingdom mindset of both, uh, the, the earthly kingdom as well as the heavenly kingdom. And it's with the mindset that the gospel is not just for you anymore. The gospel is for everyone. I think that's just really cool because in one of Jesus's final, uh, final messages, he just says, it's no longer about you. It hasn't been about you for some time. It's time to do things my way. And so for the rest of the book, we're going to, for the rest of the book, we've been hearing about, uh, about what Jesus's way actually looked like, looks like, but, uh, but we're about to see the implementation of that. And uh, as we dive into these next couple chapters, uh, throughout the coming weeks, uh, this is just foundational groundbreaking stuff, uh, about Jesus saying, we're just not doing it your way anymore. Here's the way that we're doing it. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.